Hey, this is Robbie Baseball from the Dingers Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 201, Real Genius Movie Review. Chris McBride here along with Derek Myers and this is Pop Culture World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, we always kick things off by uh, talking about what pop culture that we've done in the last week. So, uh, Derek, what is new in the world of pop culture for you, my friend? Hey, Chris. I had an interesting science fiction kind of week this week. Ooh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> so, Do I had a chance. I had a chance to, um, to watch some sci-fi TV shows, uh, one new one and uh, binge watched one that I'm a season behind on. Nice. So the first, we'll start with the new one. Netflix Lost in Space season three dropped this week. This now, is this the is new a, Lost in Space, not like yes, the one this, from the 50s or whatever. Correct. But okay. it's a reimagining. This is season three. Right. Uh, the first two seasons were fabulous. Strong production values, great story, great casting, good performances. The special effects are very reasonable. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun, and it it harkens back to that old show. Not that I'm that familiar with the show, but they really just pull on all the right threads, so that if you are familiar with the original story and the original show, that they use a lot of the same characters with the same names, but they maybe just change a little something to make the character a little more updated and, uh, and a little more relatable. But, uh, season three dropped. It's only, I believe it's only eight episodes. I'm, I just finished episode six. So I should, I should be finished that in the next couple of days. And so far so good. I'm loving it. What it's, what I'm not clear on yet and spoiler or not spoiler is whether or not this show is going to continue past season three, or if at the end of this season, they're just going to end the show. Because I, I thought I had read somewhere that this was going to be the last season. But fingers crossed. I'm really loving it. I hope they figure out a way to continue doing the show in a way that makes sense. But they really seem like they're building towards a conclusion on their main story arc. But anyway, I'm really enjoying it. So Lost in Space Season 3 on Netflix. The other one I watched was Star Trek Discovery Season 3. So Season 4 just started a couple of weeks ago. And I was a full season behind. So I binged it over the last week. Uh, I think it was 12 or 13 episodes in season three. And I don't know why I didn't watch it when it came on last year, but for whatever reason, it just didn't get on my radar properly. And so I binged them last week and I'm like, I love them. I thought they were great. I thought it was a very strong season. I think binging it really helped because it was a continuous story that ran through all the episodes. Not like, you know, like the original Star Trek and Star Trek Next Gen. It's like, you have your one, once a week self-contained story and they're they're mostly completely standalone tales. This is very much the um, the episodic like it's a buildup of one long story that, that carries through the 13 episodes. So it, it worked really well as a binge. So I, I really enjoyed it. It was really strong. And now I think there's 
three episodes have been released so far for season four. So I've been watching those. And again, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So I'm I'm disappointed it took me this long to get back into it, but I'm really enjoying it. So Lost in Space, Netflix, season three, great. Star Trek Discovery, season three, which is now a year old. I binged that in season four, starting strong. And then I went back to one of Yancey's movie picks. Oh. Inter- Interstellar. Oh, geez. I loved that one. <laughs> well, I actually love that one. Not your sarcastic. I love that one, but it was, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Um, I hadn't seen it in a couple of years and I, I was, I went to look for it on our streamers and I couldn't find it on any of the streaming services. So I actually bought the Blu-ray cause I thought, you know what? I remember really liking this movie. I'm a big fan of Christopher Nolan. I'm buying this movie and no regrets. I watched it. It looked great. It sounded great. It was as good as I remembered it. I was very happy to rewatch it. So I had all this sci-fi stuff going for me this week. So those are my picks for this week. All good picks, all strong recommendations. I'm sure they are. I want to mention our good friend, Kurt Kalin. So you know Kurt Derrick. Not only is he in The 100th Meridian, which is Canada's premier tragically hip cover band, as you know. Of course. He's also the lead guitarist for Magic Mountains. Now, you'll find them at magicmountainsband.com. Well, they're actually going to be releasing their new hit single in January of 2022. Now, did they choose to release it on MTV or Much Music or Sirius XM Radio? No, Derek. They're giving the world a sneak peek into their new song right here on Pop Goes Your World. So for the first time anywhere in the world, it's the soon-to-be international sensation. With the world debut right here on the podcast, I give you Magic Mountain's Bitter Lullaby. Your perfect tragedy 
Awesome. Yeah, that was a great song. It's like a throwback for me. It's it reminds me of kind of a mashup of like U2 and Platinum Blonde and Duran Duran. Kind of it's like it's it it reminds me of like early 90s rock. But like in all the best ways. I mean that like entirely complimentary. No, it was great. I thought it was great. I loved it. Oh me too. Thanks for sharing that with us, guys. I I I know. He reached, to, he reached out to me and he was like, you know, you know, can we debut it on the show? I've been really busy lately, but I'm trying to find some time to record some footage so I can be in the video. Nice. <laughs> Would that be wear cool? your wear, wear, wear your very sexy ACDC uh, tank top. That's <laughs> my, the look you want to you want to put out into the exactly. world or my meatballs T-shirt or something like that. <laughs> Let, let's hope by appearing in the video, I don't ruin it for them. You know, so. All right. All right. Let's move on. Here we go. Here's your dad joke of the week. Okay, Derek, what happened when the man tried to catch some fog? Oh, I I have no idea. He missed. You know, a couple of weeks ago, you had a couple of great dad jokes, and then like the last couple have just been stinkers. What do you mean? That's if that's a bitter lullaby if I ever heard one right there. Is that a pledge pin on your uniform? Doctor. Doctor. Detroit. Detroit. Oh, yes, the Haley Selassie Pavilion. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. Whiskey. Fun prophylactic, soiled. Bring him home. You're my friend. I'm going to try and help you. Randy Jackson from the Jackson 5. Really? In Philadelphia, it's worth 50 bucks. Stop. Look at that escargot. Derek, it was your turn to nominate a movie this episode. And since we recently held our pop culture fantasy draft for the year 1985. Oh, by the way, which I was able to secure a victory in. And keep the Funko Fonzie trophy right here on my desk. So good. Uh, but anyway, so then we, we're going to take turns selecting a movie from that year. You decided to go with Real Genius, starring Val Kilmer. And funny enough, recently I was down at your place for a visit. And you busted out the old VCR and you had a VHS copy of Real Genius. Now, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to watch that together. We were busy watching a hockey game. I mean, we are Canadian. <laughs> but maybe you could just let us know like why you decided to go with this movie from 1985. So, sure. So there's a few things. Uh, first of all, because we did our fantasy draft on 1985, the movie had to be from 85 and we've already done, or we have already done the breakfast club, yep. back to the future, the Goonies, St. Elmo's fire, Remo Williams, the adventure begins and Fletch. So those are all, 
for the most part, pretty strong candidates from 85. I mean, the Breakfast Club, Back to the Future, and the Goonies for sure. I don't think anyone would argue those are three of the best, the most popular, the most fan-friendly movies from 85. So when those ones are off the board, you start to have to go to some other picks. Now, for me, Real Genius has always been one of my fan favorites. I don't want to call it a guilty pleasure because guilty pleasure implies that it's crappy and I shouldn't enjoy it. But I don't think it is crappy. I, I enjoy it. I think it's it's got a lot of uh, a lot of staying power for what it is. But for whatever reason, it just it doesn't have that um, spot in pulp culture that, say, The Goonies does or that The Breakfast Club. Not that it's as good as those movies, but I'm always a little surprised that it never really found its footing and it never really, um, you know, lasted had that staying power. It sort of has a lot of the same themes of Revenge of the Nerds, and it's it's very similar to the kind of humor that has now become a lot more popular with shows like The Big Bang, where it celebrates nerd culture. Maybe it was just a little ahead of its time, um, but it's that idea of that all the characters are these super smart brainiacs, super nerds, and and it's just the different uh, the different archetypes that that fit in there. And then, of course, it's got that sort of revenge aspect of the movie where they get taken advantage of and then they have to fight back similar to revenge of the nerves but you know less cringeworthy i think and um no I've, I've always enjoyed it i'm a big fan of al kilmer especially the the stuff from the first say 20 years of his career i thought um you know it was it was good showing by him he had he had done top secret the year before he went on to do um top gun and uh, and heat in the next few years and the doors so like his career was really moving in the right direction he played batman in in a movie that was arguably not the greatest batman but it was a lot of fun in batman forever so i mean uh, this was clearly the early beginnings of val kilmer's promising career and uh, and i really enjoyed this so you know what i i'm always uh, i'm always up for going back to rewatch it i hadn't watched it in probably 10 years or more. Cause like you said, my, my personal copy is on VHS. And as we discovered when you were here, the cassette seemed to be broken. So it wasn't rewinding. I could only watch from the point it was at to the end. And I think it was like 15 minutes left in the movie. So fortunately I was able to find a digital copy of this and I was able to uh, watch it again this week. And I, I enjoyed it as much as I ever did. I, I made a point of trying to look for more of those little details that, uh, you know, I often try to do when I'm watching a movie for the, 10th or 15th time or in a case like this i haven't seen it in a long time so i'm just trying to pick up on those little things but i know that you had said you hadn't seen this movie in a long time so mm. i'm kind of interested to hear your take on it knowing that you have at least a passing familiarity with it but it's almost like seeing it for the first time again so it really anyway was. Yeah, so so I'm interested to hear what you have to say, and we can break down the movie. We can go over the we pros will. and cons. I mean, it wasn't perfect, it, it, you know, like all the movies from the '80s. There are certainly things you can look at and go, "Man, you know, that doesn't hold up so well." But considering the kind of company that this movie would have kept in the early to mid '80s, I think it does a better job than a lot of other movies about sort of having a more even-handed um, approach on how to how to uh, address some of the things but we'll get into that a little more so chris over to you what, what did you well, think of it what, tell us your, your history with this movie and then tell us what you thought about it after sure. you watched it this for sure well you mentioned more than once on this podcast how much when you think back to the 80s comedies how much you love this one this is one of your favorite ones and for me i actually saw this movie in the theater when it first came out and funny enough until this past week i had never seen it since and and I re I always remembered two things about this movie that stood out to me. 
So the one thing was the scene where Val Kilmer says, have you ever seen a body like that before in your life? And the guy's like, that's my daughter. And Val Kilmer says, well, then I guess you have. For whatever, yeah. whatever reason, I just always remember that. And the only other thing I remembered about this movie was the guy that plays the lead role. I always thought he kind of looked like a girl. I always thought he looked like Sarah Jessica Parker. So, the, But other than those oh, two things. I can see that, yeah. yeah. Other than those two things, I had virtually no memory of this movie. So in a lot of ways, I was going in fresh, like you said. And the thing was, I kept racking my brain to figure out, like, why? Why was this movie never on my radar? I mean, let's face it. I love 80s comedies, you know? And I, you know, I love these kind of movies. And and so when I watch it this week, I realize why. This movie is absolutely terrible. Oh, dude. Oh, my God. It was so awful. wrong. Oh, so I always like to start by looking at the box office. And if we look at from 1985, and we've done this before, so we'll just go over it quickly. But Back to the Future was the number one film that year. Um, it was followed up by Beverly Hills Cop, which came out the year before, but it was like in late December. And there was like Rambo and Rocky and Cocoon. And and this movie, Real Genius, it wasn't exactly a success. I mean, it no. made 13 million at the domestic US box office. So it finished 65th overall. But uh, I mean, it, it, it did make its $8 million budget back. But if you look at where it finished, like I say, 65th, it finished just behind Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. But uh, it was also outpaced by Return of the Living Dead and Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend, and The Gods Must Be Crazy, you know? So uh, what else did it finish ahead of? A bunch of movies you never heard of. So it was directed by Martha Coolidge, who also directed, she directed Valley Girl and Rambling Rose, and she did the TV movie Introducing Dorothy Dandridge, which really helped. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she helped, uh, that really helped... uh, Halle Berry. Yeah, really, really yeah. Kind of put her on the map as a serious actress, right? And um, and funny, if the, the actress that played the lead in Valley Girl was in this movie, too. She played the mayor's daughter. Very, yeah, very yeah. small part. But funny enough, this movie was quite a hit at the Paris Film Festival. So apparently, it won uh, Best Actor for Gabriel Jarrett, who, you know, played the Sarah Jessica Parker role. And it was also the winner, the Grand Prix winner for Best Director for Martha Coolidge. I I just don't understand. But um, Pat Proft and Neil Israel, I think we need to dig into these guys. But because I like these guys, these guys work. Sorry, these are the writers. Yeah, these are the writers of this film. And they work together on Police Academy and Bachelor Party and Moving Violations. And Neil Israel also did Tunnel Vision which is, it's a, it's a personal favorite of mine. It's, it's a very little known movie. It's kind of an underground film from 1976. And it's basically a parody of television. But these guys, like they're known for like sight gags, you know, like along the lines of like Zucker and Abrams and Zucker. Okay, okay. You know, from Airplane and Police Squad. Yeah. So I I just, I have no idea what the hell they were trying to do here with Real Genius. It, it has no sight gags in it. There's no sophomore humor that they're known for. It's just, it's just kind of boring and dumb. I don't know. Just, it just, I don't know. I don't know why you love this movie so much. I was. I think it's great. I mean, I I love the idea that it's the again. I I, I want to sort of draw a, a a very dotted line to to shows like The Big Bang Theory, where 
in the last 10 to 15 years, um, geek has become chic. People who are, are nerdy, whatever their passion happens to be, have become the majority in a lot of cases and have been driving pop culture. I mean, you, you don't have to look any further than the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the phenomenal wealth they have produced by, by appealing to nerds who are now in their 30s, 40s, and 50s who are very proudly saying, I've read comic books all my life. But, you know, in the 80s, of course, you, you would never say that. Um, and I think this movie appealed to me for that kind of reason where it was like, I was certainly nerdy. I mean, I wasn't a genius like the guys in this movie, but I could I could understand how their intelligence would set them apart and how they they were given um, opportunities because they were smart. And at the beginning, like a good example is like at the beginning of the movie when they uh, the main character, um, Mitch Taylor, where the 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 professor shows up to say, like, you've got early admission into the college and he's at the science fair and it's like his parents don't understand him. And, and then the guy even says to me, he's like, um, are you going to have any problems leaving your friends behind? And he goes, no, nah, not really. I don't have many friends. I think I intimidate other kids. And he's like, good boy. And, and I, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, nerdy type kids could relate to that. The fact not, maybe not being a, a genius, but to be able to say like, yeah, I don't feel like I fit in. And, and whether it's because they felt, Oh, I, I'm smarter than the other kids, or I have a particular hobby or interest that the other kids don't share, or you know, I'm not the the, the stereotypical, prototypical jock character, or well, not character, but person. Um, and that's what I liked about this is like these these characters to me at the time seemed very relatable. They were all nerdy. They all had their their quirks, and they they really didn't have a lot of um, friends outside of their 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 individual circle and i think that's partly what what's always appealed to me well you mentioned the characters <clears throat> so let's talk about the cast so val kilmer we'll start with him um his first movie role was as nick rivers in, in top, top secret, secret. pardon and, me it's got excellent <clears throat> point chris top secret oh it was so good and you could tell when you watched him in top secret that he obviously came from like a musical theater background the way he's dancing around the set and singing and stuff. And I remember at the time, he was dating Cher, of all things. Really? And yeah, when he got wow. the role in, in Top Secret. And she was dead set against him doing that. She was like, don't do this movie. This is a stupid, stupid movie. And, 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 and funny enough, that movie was much more along the lines of what I would expect from you know, Neil Israel and Pat Prof than this mm -hmm. because it was more yeah. sight gags and was like kind of that, that Zucker, Abram Zucker, the Zaz kind of humor. Yeah. And, yeah, sure. um, oh, and, but, and not only that, Top Secret has one of the funniest scenes for me in any movie in the history. Remember when the two guys dress up as the cow? The cow with the rubber boots? <laughs> and the the baby cow comes to drink the milk from the others. <laughs> and then the bull tries to mate the cow. The, the scene when the when the cat with the baby cow though is is taking the milk and the guy's like, why why are you always in such a bloody rush, man? <laughs> so funny. But anyway, Val Kilmer um, did a lot of work, like you mentioned, in the 80s and 90s, but then he kind of disappeared. He just kind of fell off the face of the earth. But the thing for me with this movie, I, I felt he was totally miscast in this movie. Now, yeah, yeah, this, I'll, I'll this give is you, a tough I'll give role to pull sure. off. This is a yeah. tough, tough role. Because if you're going to be like a super smart genius... And also be a slacker and a smart aleck. That's hard. That's hard. But he just doesn't do it. Like it, it to me, it, the, I'm watching it. It just comes off as phony. It's fake. 
I, he, he doesn't come off as a genius. He doesn't even come off as a real partier. So it, it's so bad. I mean, I don't know how he ever got a career in Hollywood after this film. It's beyond me. So when, I, when I'm watching this, I, I was thinking, okay, knowing this came out in 86, I was thinking this is what Ryan Reynolds perfected. This Like I'm watching Real Genius and I'm watching the character of Chris Knight and I'm thinking this would be – the perfect vehicle for Ryan Reynolds if it was if the movie was 10 years later or 15 years later for exactly the reasons you said it's like he's supposed to come off as a genius but he's supposed to come off as a slacker but he's supposed to be a smart ass but he's supposed to be arrogant but he's supposed to be lovable but he's supposed to still be attractive and it's like that's all the things Ryan Reynolds has found his niche on and has just built a career around and you I think you're right but I don't necessarily I'm yeah. glad you mentioned Ryan Reynolds. That's good. But Ryan Reynolds did Van Wilder, and he didn't yes. pull that off either. I don't think. I, I that's agree. That's a tough I, role I, to pull off. It is, that's but hard. I think I, I don't think that's something you just um, unless you're extremely gifted. It, I don't think that's something you pull off accurately or correctly yeah. the first time through. I think that's a thing that needs to be worked on, and I think now that's what we get from Ryan Reynolds, and that's sort of his brand. And I agree. I think. Val Kilmer in the role they have him playing is maybe not perfectly cast, but I think he does an adequate job of it. Again, nobody in this movie thought they were going to win an Oscar. And I don't think any of them were taking it seriously to that level. Um, Not like you see with Val Kilmer a few years later when he does something like The Doors, where he probably was trying to win an Oscar. And if I remember correctly, I think he even got nominated or he was at least in the discussions for a nomination. Um, but this is not an Oscar worthy performance. This no, is a straight no. up teen comedy. And, uh, but no, I mean, I, I took it at face value. I liked what I liked it for what it was. I thought it had a lot of great jokes and a lot of great, um, scenes. Like to me, it was almost like taking a sketch comedy show and like, almost like say like a Monty Python where you just jam all these like little bits together to make a movie. And you have all these, uh, these smart college kids And you see them playing practical jokes on each other and doing all these crazy little antics. And then they've wrapped it around this bigger story of you're trying to create this laser as a special project. And this movie, like a lot of movies, especially the 80s, is really almost like act one and act two. And they're very different. It's like it's almost like it's two movies and you can clearly draw a line down the middle and go all of this stuff in act one. This is one kind of movie. And then act two you've got a very different kind of movie. And unfortunately I, I don't think act two really lives up to what it needs to, to sort of stick the landing. But I do think the first half of it is very strong. I think it's, it's a, it's uh, entertaining, it's humorous. Um, and I think that part of what actually for me makes this movie work is the villain, the character of Jerry Hathaway, who's played by William Atherton, who is this is the villain in ghostbusters. He's a villain in die hard. And he's the villain in this movie, and he just plays that that jerk so well. And I think the fact that the audience just knows they love to hate him, that you cheer for the heroes that much more, knowing that by the end, this guy's going to get what's coming to him. He, uh, he'll always be Walter Peck from Ghostbusters. Of course. Me. And like you mentioned, he was that inept cop in, in Die Hard. But uh, and yeah, right from the beginning of the movie, he's just a total jerk. Remember, he says uh, yeah. he says to the parents, "Is there any chance Mitch is adopted?" Yeah, you know, like because he, he thinks that they're dumb, right? Like he's just yeah, he's, he's just so condescending. Jerk. I'm gonna I'm gonna refer to him as Walter Pack. 
for the rest of the way. A um, couple other guys that were in the cast, a couple other actors and actresses in the cast I want to talk about. The, at the beginning, too, the bald guy that was in the military. To me, yes. he's one of, like, those that guy. You know, we, we always talk about yeah. those, those character actors you recognize. And yep. you, you just can't put your finger on it. And I know I've seen this guy in a bunch of stuff. So I went and I looked him up on his IMDb page. But I, I cannot put my finger on it. I can't say that there's one thing where I'm like, yeah, that's where he's from. He's maybe, got over 100 acting I know. That's good at everything. I think maybe it might be King Kong from 76 with Jeff Bridges. He's, he was also in a few episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger. That made it to two well, episodes. Just like, oh. We know how much you love that one. That, <laughs> yeah, that's got to be that. where you recognize him from. But the other guy that was at the table that was part of the military, I did recognize him right away. He was in mm-hmm. Airplane 2, the sequel. He was in the courtroom and he was testifying against Stryker. He was the one that they were like, are you over Macho Grande? He's like, I'll never be over Macho Grande. So I, I recognize that guy right away. And then we mentioned the lead role, Mitch. It, he looks like Sarah Jessica Parker. And I mentioned that to my wife and like you, you agreed. And my wife agreed too. She's like, I, I and, never, I never made that connection yeah. until you just said it. And now I don't think I'll be able to unsee no, that. No, because she was a big, my wife was a big sex in the city fan. And she's like, oh yeah, that guy looks like Sarah Jessica Parker. And then that guy that goes in the closet. When I, oh, first, Laszlo. When, I yeah. when I first saw him, I thought that he was like that nut bar guy from One Crazy Summer. That's trying to win the radio contest. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's but not no. him, but I, I can see why you would Yeah, I thought, oh, that's him. And then I got a good look at him, and I remembered him. He was Uncle Rico in Napoleon yeah. Dynamite. Yeah. He, he was, was also, also in Lost, too. He was in Lost, yeah. He yeah, played he the, the dad, Ben's dad in those flashback parts yeah. in the from the 70s. Remember he had Workman yeah. on, his, on his shirt? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And the other one that I recognized was the blonde guy in the lab. Remember, like, that the bad guy? student that had the glasses yeah. and the braces i recognized him right away he was in bachelor party he played cole and sure. um, tom hanks and his buddies are basically at war with him in that movie so i yeah him i i've never seen bachelor party but i uh, i didn't recognize him from anything else the guy that plays milton he's one of the nerds look at a small part it was dean devlin do you recognize that name he went on to become a hollywood producer with movies like independence day Oh, like I, I was reading about that in the trivia. Yeah. yeah. He's the one who says like, Dr. Hathaway, are you wearing makeup? Yes. Yes. And yeah. then also that guy at the, he, he was in a couple of small scenes at the beginning, but then at the end, um, Dr. Meredith, I think it was his name, Severn Dart. Was he the, the professor, the heavyset guy with yeah, the beard? with the beard and the glasses. I He yeah. was in a few things. I remember he was in Saturday the 14th and in God We Trust and Back to School. That's he was in Back to School. Yeah, yeah. he's like... No, he, yeah, he's the guy who had the monkey cages in Back to School. Yes, yes. Yeah. And the the other one I really wanted to mention was Michelle Mayrink. So she was like the kind of nerdy girl with the short, dark hair. Yeah. And my wife was watching this movie with me, and she's like, oh, oh, that, that girl looks like Selma Blair, who apparently is an actress who has appeared in movies after 1989, because I don't know who that is. But I really like Michelle Mayrink, so... She, she was actually Judy in Revenge of the yeah, Nerds. Yeah, in Revenge of the Nerds. And yeah. and a little story on her. She's Canadian. And she got into acting. I thought she was really good. And then all of a sudden she did a couple movies and she decided, eh, acting's not for me anymore. So she quit and she went and she became a teacher of all things. So I just thought it was interesting. Um, I wanted to mention, Derek, the scene is kind of near the beginning of the movie when they're sliding down the, the ice on the yes. stairs in the dorm room. Okay, little story. 
when I was in university, I, I, I this might come as a surprise, but I used to like to party. And we used to hold keg parties. And man, it was a crazy time. But there was this house of guys that lived up the street. And they partied like way more than we did. And they, they used to do this thing called stair skiing. And it was okay. just like this students in this movie. It was the same thing. Only there was like obviously no snow and ice in the house. But what they would do is, is these guys at the party would put on skis and they, and they would ski down the stairs. And there would be like this wall at the bottom and they'd crash into the wall. And then one, I remember this one time, this guy decided he was going to go roof skiing. <laughs> and he put on skis and went up on the roof and skied oh, off the roof and he broke his leg and went to the hospital. No kidding. Oh, yeah. that's, uh, he's lucky that's all he broke. Holy cow. I don't know if I they thought were going to... I thought you were going to say skied off the roof into the swimming pool or something. No, no. I don't know if they were like, if they saw real genius or like, hey, we want to try that. I don't know. But it totally reminded me when I saw this movie, I was like, oh my God, that was just like that. So um, the other, a couple other scenes I want to mention when they're in the lecture hall and instead of going to class, more and more students start putting boom boxes in their chairs and they yeah, record the, the lectures. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was laughing and my wife turns to me and she's like, see, even back then it was hard to get students to come to class. It's not just you. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> eventually the prof just stops going to lecture hall. He just puts up this like reel to reel tape player for his lectures. Derek, maybe I should try that. I don't know, Chris, you you are one of those few teachers that is actually way better in person than uh, I think you would be on uh, on the what, audio. You know what I could do? I could bring it into the new in the new millennium. I could just put out a podcast. There I, you I go. I might be onto something here. This might be there you go. There you go. So I have a question for you, Walter Peck, because that's what I call him. Um, yeah, yeah. Why, Dr. Was, why was he mad at Val Kilmer and kicked him out of the college? I think even Sarah Jessica Parker asked him that and didn't really get an answer. Like, why did he get kicked out? Was it because he didn't build the laser fast enough or something? Like, that, yeah. that whole part confused me. Yeah, he's trying to motivate him. He needed him to build that laser because they, they they had alluded to the fact earlier in the movie that Hathaway had been, had been um, taking money from the government for this project. And basically, instead of, like, he had been taking it as a... As a uh, fee to build this laser and then he had his students working on it for free and he was just pocketing all the money because the guy the military guy drives him to his house one time and he says tax evasion is a felony and he's talking about like they do an audit if the program doesn't yield results so it seems pretty clear that hathaway was embezzling money or at least taking money for work he wasn't doing and probably a ridiculous amount of money and so when uh, his expectation was he'd have all this time and the students would build him this laser and he'd be able to ha pass it off as his own. And when they weren't able to do that, he's like, he knew he was potentially going to be in a lot of trouble. So he's like, well, I need to motivate him in any way I can. And it's clear that uh, Val Kilmer's character is, you know, more than likely the one who's going to have this, uh, this, this aha moment and, and, and figure it out. So he's like, fine, then you didn't deliver what I told you I needed. I'm not going to give you what you, you didn't give me what I want. I'm not giving you what you want. You're not graduating. So. At one point in the lab scene, I noticed Val Kilmer was wearing a monkey's t-shirt. Yeah. I yeah. totally want one of those. By the way, if, if my wife is ever fishing around looking for a Christmas gift idea, monkey's t-shirt. Um, the other thing I noticed that was interesting was they had the, and we noticed this when we watch these old eighties movies, the technology and like how there's computers or there's a lack mm -hmm. of computers, but the computers all had like that green text 
On yeah. Them. I was like, oh, geez, that's so 80s. So one thing that jumped out to me as being very 80s in this film was the scene between Sarah Jessica Parker and Patty Darbinville. So first of all, I should mention, I recognize Patty Darbinville. So she was in Modern Problems with Chevy Chase. It was this like totally awful movie. But I I've heard of it, but I've never yeah, seen it. It's not very good. Um, but, you know, I, I, she only ever did crappy movies, apparently. So anyway, th- there's a scene with her and Sarah Jessica Parker's doppelganger. Man, oh man, I tell you, just another disturbing 80s movie scene. So you and I recently did an episode here on the podcast on movies that we saw way too young. And one of the movies on my list was Private Lessons, if you remember. Yes, yes. Where there's like this 15-year-old kid played by Eric Brown, and, and he makes it with like a 30-year-old Sylvia Christel. And here again, you've got this 15-year-old boy. I say boy, but I mean, it was really Sarah Jessica Parker. I mean, who really knows? But you've got this 15-year-old boy making it with a 30-something-year-old woman. Like, what the hell is up with that? Yeah, that's, that again, I, I said at the outset that this one did a better job than Revenge of the Nerds at being a little less cringeworthy, but this was sort of my only real beef with this was the idea that they needed to establish that Mitch's character was young. He's clearly a genius. He's he's. They brought him in uh, from high school, years ahead of when he should be in college, and his ideas are revolutionary. And he just, you know, they 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 very early on in the movie established this kid is super duper smart. Um, but he's a kid. More than once they 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 refer to the fact that he's only fifteen. And so there's his relationship with uh, with Jordan, the the girl we talked about, Michelle Mayrink. 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 Who already in one point says she's 19 years old. Uh, so there's a four year gap. Again, that one maybe I could be a little more forgiving of because you got to think like nerds, you know, nerd love is nerd love. Oh, of course. Uh, but I mean, still at the same time, it's like at least it's a, like they're supposed to be peers. Uh, so that I can be a little more forgiving of. It's still not 100% cool. And if the genders were reversed, it would absolutely not be cool. But yeah, when uh, when Patty Darbinville's character, Sherry, comes in and she's like, oh, I've been waiting X number of years for you to for, to be old enough. And it's like, you think 15 is old enough? You've waited this long. What's a couple more years? Like, let them be legal already. I'll tell you what, I was a 15-year-old boy in the 80s. I didn't go around making it with Sylvia Christel or Patty Darbinville, that's for sure. Maybe maybe if I look like Sarah Jessica Parker, maybe that would have changed. I don't know. Eh, you um, had to be a genius too, Chris. Yeah, that's true. I wasn't. I was, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, so another thing, they they drug Kent. And yeah. They, they implant the chip in his braces or whatever that yeah. allows them to talk to him. And he thinks it's Jesus. That to me was one of the best ideas in this movie. They yeah. should have milked that for way more. Like it's, and the thing was, it was the same thing in Bachelor Party. So, so this actor that played Kent, his name was Robert Prescott. And like I say, he was in Bachelor Party and the same thing happened. He was like the bad guy and like the good guys totally like make him pay for being a jerk. And in Bachelor Party, they hang him out of a window naked, you know, but um, one question I have. So in Real Genius, when they talk to him through the radio in his braces. Yes. And he's in his dorm room. I noticed what was up with all those black hand marks Yeah, that were on the walls so, of his room? I was like, what the hell's going on with that? Yeah, one of the things that I, I really tried to pay closer attention to, again, because I've seen this movie a lot, I always look for new details, is in the dorm, in the, in the public spaces, like the hallway and the kitchen and stuff, 
there's a lot of we'll call it graffiti for lack of a better term or art and it, it's um there's a lot of quotes there's a lot of interesting imagery at one point you see a guy paints a giant seven of clubs playing card like as big as a dorm room door on the one wall which you see a few times like there's a lot of just weirdness and i guess it's the idea that if you're a genius you need a creative outlet sometimes um so that's the only thing i could think of was it's that extension of we've already seen this in the public space where everybody can contribute their little piece yet in his own room this is how he's chosen to express himself but it just seemed kind of weird and like they never addressed it, but at the same time, it was in enough of the scenes that it, it was distracting with without like it was distracting and without an explanation of what it was or why it was there, it made it that much more distracting. So I agree with you on that. I have another question. The the scene where they get into the Air Force base, remember, and then they're like they break in and they're like sending the, the secret codes out to Uncle Rico. Yes. And then for some reason I just I, I was confused. Uncle Rico is like, uh oh. And the other guy with him is like, what? What is it? And then Uncle Rico's like, nothing. And I was like, what the yeah, hell just happened there? Yeah. I was confused. I was like, what was that all about? Like, it's, yeah. I, don't know, I felt like it was edited weird or I missed something. I don't know. No, I think I think it was just supposed to be that uh, a reminder to the audience that as smart as these guys are, they can still run into problems. But I'm like it just seemed kind of silly to me. It's like he presented a problem and they went, Oh no, no, it's not a problem at all. It wasn't even like there's a problem and I've solved it as yeah. much as there's a, Oh, there's a glitch. Don't worry. The glitch is gone. And it's like, well, is that going to pay off in 10 minutes? Is that going to affect something else? So yeah, it just, it seemed unnecessary. You could have easily cut that little part out or you needed to maybe build on it a little, and maybe there was a deleted scene who knows, yeah. but no, I think you're right. I think it was right weird. on that. That's, that struck yeah. me as weird. So you obviously love this movie and you're also a big music guy. So let's talk about the soundtrack a little oh, bit. I love the soundtrack for this movie. It, it was, is, uh, it, was, it was, it was okay. There was the one song that jumped out to me cause they played it more than once was summertime girls by YNT. I always remember that. Like, it's like, I always really liked that as an 80s kind of song. Um, Y&T didn't do anything else. They were just had that one song, but I really liked it. Brian Adams was in there. And then, of course, the song at the end in the credits was um, Tears for Fears. Everybody yep. Wants to Rule the World, which is one of your songs from our... was my personal pick yeah, from our draft. Yeah. yeah, partly because it was in this movie. That was part of the reason that it was my personal pick. Um, there was also a couple other songs. So... I'm a big 80s music guy, and I, I love, like, that 80s keyboard synth new wave pop sound. And there was a couple of songs in this that weren't big hits, but were very reminiscent of that sound. There's one that was called I'm Falling by the Comsat Angels. Again, one-hit wonder, if you could even call them one hit. It was more – they were more of, like, a, a club uh, – a, a band that had play in the club. Is that when they were, like, like they were studying for the tests and yeah. everything? Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then there's another one that was called Number One by Chaz Jankel. Again, those are two songs that were never, I don't think they were ever released as singles, but they always, the only time I've ever heard them is in this movie, and I've actually, um, you know, downloaded both of them into my 80s playlist, and uh, I just, I think they're both great songs, and they play almost the full song if not the full song of both of them in the movie over like montage scenes which is a staple of any 80s movie you gotta have of a course. montage this well, movie has course. two montages and they're both nice. like study montages so um no this this uh this soundtrack is great it's got some like like you said it's got brian Adams. it's got a couple like really big songs but it's got a couple of these other like 
oh, I don't know that song, but I kind of like it. Um, I think a lot uh, of people, when they think of Don Henley leaving the Eagles, they always think of Boys of Summer. But all she wants to do is dance. Was like that techno kind of like keyboard yeah. heavy. And it, and, it, and it makes an appearance yep. when they're in that like uh, the party, that tanning individual yeah. party or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was playing. So that was uh, that, that kind of stood out to me. And then uh, the last thing I want to talk about is the, the scene at the end of the movie when they po- they point the laser at the house and they make oh, all the popcorn. Popcorn. When that happened, actually, I remembered. I Like I said, I saw this movie in the movie theater and I remembered that scene for whatever reason. So it, it kind of came back to me in the moment. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I remember that with all the popcorn coming out. But that being said, there just wasn't a whole lot to remember for this movie. Like, man, oh man, it was so bad. Like, here's the thing. Is it supposed to be a comedy? Is it supposed to be a drama? Is it supposed to be like a military action movie? I don't know. I just, sorry, man. I, I think it's supposed to be, yeah, Revenge of the Nerds a few years earlier that was a big success. But it's a straight out comedy. Like, it Revenge is a straight of the out Nerds comedy. Is a comedy, like joke after joke after joke. Yeah. There's and lots think, going on. This movie I, was just a mess. Yeah. Well, I, I think this one was supposed to be along those lines, but a little more serious. Um, and from what I was reading from like the, the behind the scenes and the trivia was a lot of the stuff that was in this movie was inspired by actual events that took place on a couple of different ca- campuses around the U.S. Like the writers basically reached out to some people that, that were affiliated with the colleges, whether it be students or whether it be, um, you know, professors to get, to get these stories. Like, Hey, when you've got these schools where these kids that are like ridiculously intelligent come together, how do they react and how do they behave in a way that the, you know, the, the general public is not familiar with. And, and so that's why this to me seemed almost like a sketch comedy movie where it's like, you've got a bit and you've got a bit and you've got a bit. And it's like, that that I think is why it sort of feels that way, but I I like it. I like mm. that about this a lot. Um, you know, again, this movie wasn't going to win any Oscars, and I enjoy it a lot. It's one of my uh, it's one of my like sort of again I'll call it a guilty pleasure, but I don't think I have any reason to feel guilty. I'd probably give it, you know, a seven out of ten, maybe mm. maybe a tad below, like between a six point five and a seven out of ten. But I'd probably give it a seven out of ten. I like it. If it came on TV, you know, tomorrow, I would probably sit. Well, maybe not tomorrow because I just watched it. But a month from now, this comes on TV. I'm probably going to watch it. I may not sit through the whole thing, but especially if I know, oh, there's a couple of scenes coming up. Um, the only other thing I want to mention about this movie is. Yes. This is this is a movie that is um, in the trailer. There are some scenes in the trailer that never made it into the final cut. And this is something that happened in the 80s a lot. Was this like where, where he was like lifting up in the balloons? He was in the like the recliner chair. Yeah. And the balloons. I was like, that wasn't in the movie, but that was like a big no. part of the trailer. You're right. That's it was. Doing. And and that happened know. a lot in the 80s. And um, this is one of those movies where people say that they're like, oh, well, remember that scene? And it's like, I remember that scene in the trailer, but it didn't make it to the final cut of the movie. So. Anyway, no, I, like I said, I, I'd probably give this a 7 out of 10. I like it. I think uh, I think there's a lot to like about this movie. I don't think I'd watch it every single day, but, um, you know, I, I it, it holds up to me. So 7 I, out of 10, I'd probably give it a, a 2. I'm sorry. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> sorry. All right. On that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. All right, Jarek. So you've heard of the game Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? I have. So we're going to play a game called One Degree of Val Kilmer. 
Okay. So oh, nice. Do, okay. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna like this. I'm gonna give you the name of an actor. All you have to do is name the title of the film that they appeared in with Val Kilmer. Okay. Okay. You, you, you get this. Super easy. Okay. I'm gonna start easy. Okay. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Top Gun. Very good. All right. Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis. What film? Willow. Christian Slater. Ooh. Uh, oh, um, True Romance. Bit of a trick question because, you know, Val Kilmer yeah. was like... Uncredited. Really, really small part in that played Elvis, right? All right. Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan. Uh, I've never seen it, but I think she was in The Doors. Pretty good. All right. Canadian Jim Carrey. Ooh. Oh, um, that was the Batman one. It was uh, Batman Forever. Well done. All right. Kurt Russell. We mentioned Kurt Russell a couple of times on this podcast. What movie did he appear in with Val Kilmer? With Val Kilmer. Oh, that was the cowboy one. The, um, the shootout at the OK Corral. That was um, Tombstone. It was Tombstone. Well done. All right. Marlon Brando. What movie did Marlon Brando do with Val Kilmer? The Island of Dr. Moreau. You really know your Val Kilmer. I, I saw that one in the theater because I had <laughs> just read the, I had just read the book for a for a university course on classic literature, and they're like, "There's a new movie version." I'm like, "Oh my god, I just read the book. I'm going to see this." I'm like, "Wow, did that movie suck? It was awful." Okay, terrible. Here's one: Robert Downey Jr. Oh, that was uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> Carrie Ann Moss. What movie did Carrie Ann Moss Ooh. do with Val Kilmer? Ooh, that is a good question. Hmm. Okay, probably would have been the late 90s, early 2000s. Hmm. Wow. Uh, I yep. don't know. I don't know. No idea. It was called Red Planet. Oh yeah, but was it, yeah. Was that a rip off? The was that a rip off of The Martian? No. Was it? Like I'm sure Val Kilmer was okay, but I mean, you know, who who's better on Mars? Matt Damon. No question, right? No All right. question. Colin Farrell. What movie did Colin Farrell do with Val Kilmer? Oh. Uh I know I'm going to regret this, but I tell you, I don't know, but, uh, she's, I don't know. It was 2004's Alexander. Wow. I did not know that Val Kilmer was in that. Hey, I actually figure. saw that in the theater too. Talk about <laughs> very, a stinker. Very forgettable. Talk about forgettable. Okay. Last one. Omar Sharif. I'll give you a hint. It wasn't Dr. Zhivago. Val Kilmer was only six when that movie came. Oh, was it um, uh, Top Secret? <laughs> Remember Omar Sharif? He was crushed the, in the car, right? Yes, he, and the windshield wiper Where's goes across his face. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. really, really good. All right. 
All right, so you did really well. You really know Val Kilmer movies. But that being said, I, I, I don't know. I just think you totally underrepresented 1985 with this pick. So I feel the need to redeem myself, you know, for the sake of 1985 in general. I initially wanted to lean towards Spies Like Us, but I know you don't like that movie. Not and, a big fan of it. And I was but that like, makes for good radio, so if you yeah. want to do it, and I have the DVD, so no problem finding a copy. I was thinking about Teen Wolf as well. Like, I really like Teen Wolf, but it's a small little movie, and I don't know. I mean, Susan Ursity was in it. She was great. Oh, man, I really struggle with this one. I, mm, I'm going back and forth between these. I think I'm going to... I think I'm going to count. It's coming down to two. One's a comedy and one's not a comedy. I think I'm going to go, since this one was, this was supposed to be a comedy, wasn't it? Real genius. It was. Yeah. I left. So, so I'm going to go a different way. I'm going to go away from a comedy. I want to do a comedy. But instead, I think I'm going to go with, I think with one of the best films of that year in 1985. And that's Fright Night. The original, okay. okay? I know you don't like horror movies. You hate horror movies. But this, this to me is a bit less of a horror movie. It's more of a send-up, really. And I, I think it's really, really strong. I saw it in the movie theater when it came out in 85. I've seen it since. Um, it's been years since I've seen it. But I'm really looking forward to going back. The comedy that I was thinking about watching was John Candy's Summer Rental. I almost oh, went there. I haven't seen that since 1986. Yeah, I almost went there. But I think, I think, Fright that Night. That's where he has to eat the big steak and then is like, all no. that's left on that plate is fat and gristle. No, no, no. That was, that was, um, the great outdoors. Great outdoors. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, summer rental. I was getting get those two mixed up. Yeah. He, he goes on vacation with his family and like everything goes wrong. But I, Fright Night is the way I want to go. I, it, it's, okay. it's not really a horror. It's kind of a horror, but not really. Like, I, it's just a good movie, I think. And so I think it'll be interesting because they did remake it a number of years ago with, with mm-hmm. Colin Farrell, who we just mentioned a, yep. a couple of questions and ago. And David Tennant and Anton yeah. Yelchin. No, oh, stupid to remake it. Yeah. The original was, so The remake good. was just okay. Yeah. So I The original know. was just okay. But yeah. I'll rewatch it. It's, yeah. been a, it's been a while. I don't know. If you go back and watch it, I think you might like it a little bit better than you think. But we'll, we'll have to see. It'll make, like you said, if you don't like it, it makes for good radio. You know, so there's that. Indeed, so, indeed. Okay, so watch Fright Night from 1985. And then we'll come back next show. And then we'll do that. And then we're going to take a little bit of a break over the holidays because we got Christmas coming up. So we're going to take some time off. And then uh, we'll come back in the new year and uh, we'll go from there. But on our next episode, we will look at Fright Night. And until next episode... My name is Chris McBrien, that is Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 